When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there. My name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan. And together with my co-host, Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair and there are so many positive things to talk about. Good news is all around. City can go top of the league this week. Uh, we're through to the fifth round of the FA Cup. We're already through to the final of the Man City Cup. We topped our group in Europe. All is well in the world. So to wax lyrical and to talk only positive things, I've got three very positive cup half full type people. Welcome to the Man City Show, first of all, to Lisa Rabinovitz. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Nigel. Hi, Nick. To Nick Goldstone. Hi, Nigel, and happy birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, and also to Sarah Messenger. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, Nigel. Listen, uh, can we start um, at the Cheltenham Gloucester Building Society, please? Um, or I don't know, the Cheltenham Gold Cup, whatever you want to call it. FA Cup, City sailed through 3-1, not a problem, never in doubt. Um, easy win, uh, sailed through to the fifth round, never in doubt, Lisa, was it? So, absolutely plain sailing for the Sky Blues. Oh, yeah. Um, I never at any point thought, oh, God, how am I going to deal with all these people going on and on about how we've lost to Cheltenham? Um, yeah, we, we left it a bit late uh, to decide to to want to win the match. Um, but I guess, what can you say? We turned it round and we're through. I mean, and that's a really obvious comment, but I mean, it was poor, we were poor, but Cheltenham then deserve some credit for for keeping us at bay when we did have chances. But I think we just didn't apply ourselves well enough in the first half. There were lots of players who certainly ones you might think of as more senior players who to me just looked like they were offended to be picked in the starting eleven um against Cheltenham. Uh and I I just think it was the wrong attitude from the start. Sorry, it was not a great performance. Being serious for a moment, it was not a great performance first half, was it at all? 
No, it was poor. But I, I do think that we, I mean, everyone's given Cheltenham credit and rightly so. And I just want to really emphasise that I, I thought Cheltenham played incredibly well. They were not what I've come to expect from a, a League Two side. I think, you know, they played a lot of the ball on the ground. Their pressing game was as good as we get. In fact, it was better than we get from some of our Premier League opposition. Um, and they didn't just hoof it every time they won the ball back. And I, I, I don't know whether that took City by surprise. Um, but I, I do think the way Cheltenham played caused some of the problems we had in the first half, even though with the quality we had on the pitch, we should have figured out a way around it and played better. Um, but, I, I, you know, I do think Cheltenham deserve a lot of credit. They did not look like uh, a League Two side to me for most of that first half. Uh, Nick's, what your, what's your view, Nick? Is that so Cheltenham clearly need a lot of credit or was it underperformance from the City team? Uh, Pep didn't get their heads right. How, how did you view it? Uh, I thought it was uh, it was a performance that lacked any conviction. Um, I think we got drawn into the whole um, sort of soap opera of the the BBC coverage of a of a giant versus minnow FA Cup game. Pep got drawn into it a bit, commenting on the fact that we'd supposedly be changing in the bar or whatever that was. Um, and uh, you know we had a we had a very much changed team. Uh, lots of those players didn't really cover themselves in glory. Uh, it had a little bit of of everything. There was a, a worldie of a clearance off the line from a Mendy drive early on. Uh, torpedo long throws causing mayhem in our defence. Um, and for most of the game, we just really didn't like look like we were up for it at all, to be quite honest with you. But it got turned round, didn't Lisa? So a couple of interesting substitutions and a couple of guys who did make a difference. Yeah, and and it's it's great that we've got players who came on and made that difference, and and particularly uh, Diaz and and Cancelo. Um, Diaz, I I felt the reason he was being brought on was for some leadership at the back or just in general on the, on the pitch and I, it's just unbelievable I think the difference he makes and Cancelo obviously some great deliveries and I've been one of the one of our players of the season so far I think but I and yes it is good that we have players who can come on and do that but we really shouldn't have needed that at all and I, I agree with Sarah that and I and I said that Cheltenham did deserve some credit but I often think that City do turn up to some of these matches just thinking they've already won them and their attitude is wrong. And it's, that shouldn't be the case. By now, they should know that that's not the case. And when they went 1-0 up, Sarah, what were you thinking at that time? Did, did you feel actually this could be an upset or did you in your heart of hearts think we've got enough here to pull this round? Uh, I think the same as Lisa. I was dreading what I was going to have to read on my timeline. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, it was, there was still nearly half an hour to go, so I didn't. I didn't think all was lost. I did start to think that as it got to the 80th minute, because we didn't. It, you know, we didn't look as if we were imminently going to score a goal until the the um, Cancelo and Gundogan came on. Um, so. You know, of course it wasn't a good performance. I'm not trying to... My my credit to Cheltenham is not to excuse City, but 
um, I do think there's something in the way Cheltenham played that made the game harder for City than they anticipated, which, you know, maybe to do with the preparation, etc. I think, um, I mean, you know, we can go through some of the weaker performances, I'm sure we will, and there's probably one or two names who I think most City fans have lost all patience with. What I would say, though, is I think it's interesting that Cancelo and Gundogan came on, and Diaz, obviously, but Diaz has been loved since day one, both players who last season a lot of City fans were critical of, not, you know, didn't rate them hugely. Uh, Foden had a blistering game, um, but even he in the past has had some question marks about whether he's going to be another David Silver. And I just think it's interesting that we actually have got players who um, have now settled into the way we play and are, can, you know, can change games for us. And that's what they did on Saturday. Can we just pick on some of the positives? So having said that, obviously, the first half wasn't great and some, it looks like some players didn't want, want to be there. Let's talk about the positives because they did turn it round and, and they turned in a 3-1 victory. We threw to the fifth round to place one. So all is not all is not wrong. Nick, can we pick up on some of these players? And, and as, as Sarah's rightly said, they're not necessarily superstars, ones that would instantly roll off the tongue when you're talking about City legends. But... But Cancelo and Gundogan, just sort of picking those two out to start with, who this season, for me, have really stood out as being top-class players who have turned in brilliant performances and and turned it round for us at the weekend against uh, Cheltenham. Absolutely. I mean, look, the the really good thing about the game is that really it's it's a blip, it's an aberration on after a after a period of two months where we, we, we haven't lost a game. Um, and, yeah, um, Gundogan and Cancillo, amongst one or two others, um, played very, very well. Uh, I mean, Cancillo is a, he's a, he's a, he's a fabulous player. Um, and the past two, three months, he's really um, just been transformed um, I'm not quite sure if he's a defender, to be quite honest with you, because he's. I've seen dogs in the park with a with a longer concentration span than, than he's got as a defender. But he's got a wand of a of a left peg, as they say, he, and he's a glorious ball player. Um, so uh, he, uh, you know, not specifically talking about the game um, at the weekend, but. He is looking like someone who's going to be an absolute star for City, uh, whether he whether that's a, a left back or, or or elsewhere in the team. And Gundogan is continuing on his great run of form, which I I think for me personally has a lot to do with the fact that he seems to be playing a good ten yards uh, further up the pitch than he has been in the past, and it's really doing him an awful lot of good. Yes. Lisa, do you, do you want to pick up on either Gundogan or Cancelo yourself? I'd be really interested in your view on, on either or or both of those two. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what Nick just said about Gundogan. Um, I, I felt I, I've always quite liked him and I think that he's really, one, benefited from playing further up the pitch, but also because he's usually playing with either Rodri or Fernandinho these days. And I know a lot of people see that see the team to be like that and think, oh no, not again. But I, I think now we're getting used to the fact that that Gundogan is actually very effective when he's allowed to go forward a bit more. Um, he's a very, he's clearly a very intelligent player as well and calm. 
Uh, and I think that those kind of characteristics are very helpful um, to have on the pitch. And I'm just, I'm just pleased he's he got some goals, which I think always gets people's attention. But it's not just about that. I, I think he, he brings that a certain level of intelligence to, to City um, that sometimes we seem to be lacking at the moment. But um, Cancelo, yeah, I'm not sure about it from a defensive perspective, although I think I'd still rather have him at left back than Mendy, um, and he's supposed to be a right back. And he, he's been tremendous. And I think he's he's a really good example of a player who was a bit lost last season. And I think it takes certain players, not all of them, because some of them settle in immediately, but it takes certain players a season, players like Guardiola, and in the Premier League to really get to grips with what Guardiola wants from them and, and look at him now. And I think sometimes we're too quick to judge because the way Guardiola wants to do things is very different to the way most other managers do. Sarah, we've, we've gone, I don't know, 15 minutes without mentioning Phil Foden. And, and I just really want to spend a few minutes on him. And <laughs> we all know that the next game he plays for Manchester City will be his 100th game. Um, and people said he's not played enough and, and he should have gone out on loan to, to Everton or whatever to, to get a bit of football under his belt. And I think, you know, we all agree as City fans, I think we all believe very strongly that Pep has handled him absolutely superbly from day one, training with those world-class players week in, week out, giving him a chance in the first team and each season just playing a little bit more. And he has come through to be a fantastic prospect. He just looks like a natural footballer. He doesn't have to try hard. And I just think at 20 years old, he's one of the most exciting prospects that we've seen for, for, for many, many years. And, and you know, the, the, the way he played at the weekend, he turned the game round, uh, the run that he made for the goal. You know, I just think he's, he's looking superb at the moment. Do you want to wax lyrical about Phil Foden for us for a few minutes? Well, I'd echo every single word you've just said. And, and when I mentioned earlier that, that one or two fan, City fans have had doubts about Foden, um, I should, what I really meant was my dad. Um, although he wasn't, <laughs> mad on Can, he wasn't mad on Cancelo and Gundogan this time last season. And he's come round to my way of thinking on all three. I told him I was going to say this tonight. Um, well done, Dad. He was, he, yeah. <laughs> he, Foden was unbelievable in the second half. And, I mean, you know, I've seen other City fans have said this since Saturday, but I think it's really true. I think there was a sense that he, he even before the substitutions were made, he was absolutely determined we were not losing that game. It was an affront to him, either uh, partly as a professional footballer and partly as a City fan. Um, and he set a tone and a, a sort of injected the, some of the drive and the passion that we just haven't seen at all in the first half. Um, I'm sure he was delighted when the substitutions were made because he then got some quality alongside him that ultimately resulted in some goals. But some of his passing, the, the mazy run he, he did, which we, we've seen replayed a number of times, it, it is unbelievable how good he is for the age he is. And I think Pep and City as a club deserve huge credit for ignoring all the baiters around how little time he's getting. Um, and, uh, you know, to have developed him to the, in the way that they have into the prospect that he is, um, I think is fantastic. And long may he stay at City. Uh, Nick, can you can you see a weakness in in Foden's armour? I mean, he's not he's not particularly big, he's not particularly strong, but we've seen many world class players of his height and his stature 
uh, at the moment, I can't see him doing anything wrong. And I just think that at 20 years old, with already 99 games under his belt for City, the world is his oyster. And I can only see him getting better and stronger and, and, and becoming genuinely a world-class player. Oh, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've always thought exactly that. I don't think now is the time to talk about what is what is, what is Burry's weaknesses. Uh, clearly, he's not absolute perfection. Uh, nobody is. But he's starting now to look a bit more battle-hardened and um, uh, sort of professional about how he plays the game and how he plays during the course of the game. Um, it, it, yeah, I don't think he... Let's be fair and let's be completely honest. He he didn't grab the Cheltenham game by the scruff of the neck right from from the very off. Um, he wasn't uh, dictating the game from from um, from sort of the uh, 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 the centre of the the pitch, but he got the job done. And again, you know, I don't just want to talk about how he played against Cheltenham. He's been fantastic. Um, and improving week on week for, for, for many, many months now. And he's really starting to look like the real deal. Lisa, can we talk about maybe some of these second string players? Um, have they blown their chance? Would you say a missed opportunity for some of them? One of the questions we've had on Twitter. Um, well, I, I think it depends on who they're referring to. I mean, if they, if they mean the youngsters, I don't think they've blown their chance. Um, I... I think they, I said earlier, I think they were kind of let down a bit by the, the rest of the team. But if they're referring to, I don't, I don't really want to go here, but I'm going to have to, aren't I? Um, yeah, that's, what, that's, to why, that's why I've come to you first, Lisa. Thanks, thanks so much. If they're referring to Mares, um and Mendy, and I really don't want to go here, but I'm going to because I know everyone wants to, Jesus, then I think... In my mind, Mendy, I just don't even know why. I mean, I do know why he's still there. We probably can't sell him to anyone. But I've never particularly liked him, even pre-injury. I never thought he would be great for us. Wanted to be wrong, not wrong so far. Can't see that changing. Just, I, I don't really know what the point of putting him in the team is. I, I'm a bit concerned that we don't have a youngster who can go there. It's a bit strange to me. But... Um, Mares, to me, his attitude certainly in the first half, most of the match, just he was the one I was referring to when I said he looked almost offended to have been selected to play in that game. I don't understand him because his first season, I said, you need to give him a chance to get used to Pep. Last season, looked like he'd got used to it. And this season, he's just gone backwards. And then he does have a couple of games, looks okay, and then goes backwards again. It's, it's very, very frustrating. Um, and Jesus, you know, he didn't have the best game. None of them did. Um, I, I think I'm glad he scored. Uh, he, he, he deserves a lot more credit than he overall gets. I don't think I'd put him in the same bracket as Mendy, unnecessarily Mares. Um, it's really difficult. He suffers from the comparison with Aguero, which I strongly disagree with. Um, and I, I think that people who don't like him will either get what they want because he'll end up being sold or have to live with it because Pep likes him. And I don't know what's in Pep's mind, but I think he still deserves to, to keep playing in the side. So, so, Sarah, where do you stand? I've got 
Lisa's three names written down. I've added another one as well because I think she's right. We, we can't really talk about Taylor Harwood Bellis playing out of position um, and also Tommy Doyle, who, you know, great to see him in the side. Uh, but really, you know, these, these are young lads still sort of learning their trade. We've got Mares, Mendy and Jesus. I've added Sir Torres to the list as well. I think he's one of these, I guess, could be one of the fringe players that our contributor is, is talking about. Do you want to pick up on any of those, comment on any of those or add to what Lisa has said? Well, I think Lisa's done a really good summary of the three. I mean, Mendy just has never been, never, for the whole time he's been with City, has never been the player we all saw at Monaco. And whether that's to do with his serious injuries, whether it's to do with our style of play or just the rigours of the Premier League, I don't know. But I don't, I think, I think we're all getting to the point now where if we signed a new left back, our levels of ecstasy would rise through the roof. So, I, I, you know, Mendy for me is done. Mares, um, you know, he doesn't for the for the quality of player he is and the age he is, he doesn't bring enough to the table um, consistently enough. And I think Lisa explained, you know, he was better last season, but he's gone backwards. This I agree with that. Jesus, I would definitely persevere with. I mean, if you look at his finish, that was a brilliant finish. The way he took yeah. the ball down and finished it was yeah. was proper striker quality. Um, he himself has said it's been a very stop-start season. He's been disrupted by COVID and so on. So I would I would definitely persevere with Jesus. Torres, I mean, it's far too early. He scored quite a few goals for us, and I like the look of him. So I definitely wouldn't see Torres as anything other than somebody who can uh, get better as the season goes on and potentially be a Cancelo next season. All right. Uh, Nick, do you want to fill your boots on these three or four? <laughs> well, I... I think uh, I think that firstly, it's much too early to talk about uh, Torres in that sort of bracket. He's he's played very very little recently, and that was a very tough game to come into uh, for various reasons, not least the fact that there were so many changes to the rest of the team. Uh, and he's shown some real uh, positives earlier in the season, so I wouldn't I wouldn't want to um, be judging him in any way whatsoever right now. Uh, so much has been said about the other names that I'm, I'm barely uh, wanting to to go there. Um, I think I'll sort of convite, con, 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 confine my remarks to to, to Jesus. Um, that sort of game, the Cheltenham game, is just a it's just a hiding to nothing for everybody uh, on our side, and for for him in particular. Um, he got his goal late on. It's just it just doesn't impress me. I'm afraid. Um, generally, he doesn't do enough. He doesn't make enough of, of an impact. Uh, okay, he's had a stop start season, but he's had stop start season after stop start season, and he just he's just not doing it for me. Um, I think he's got enough talent to do it somewhere else, and I've always been one. Uh, to uh, uh, to say that, but I don't think he's going to he's going to get it right for us at, uh, at City. Certainly not under Pep. He's just not the right right kind of player. Um, I just think just a couple of other names to mention, sure. uh, or maybe just one for the sake of time. I think Laporte uh, was also dealt a pretty uh, tough card, having to come into back into the team for that game. Um, it was difficult for him. Uh, I don't think he had a great night. He clearly looked frustrated, especially when they scored, uh, which didn't do him any favours. Uh, and 
well, let me just leave it there, actually. But I thought, sure. I thought it was a tough night for Laporte. I don't think it did him a great deal of good all round, really, being in that team. You, you make a good point, and I, I'd, I'd agree with you. I just want other aside, which I think there's some good PR stuff going on. I know you, a couple of you said that we maybe fell into sort of the uh, the BBC uh, bandwagon there, but I, but I do think that uh, the, the banners and allowing our supporters club to, to put our banners up and, and the whole sort of virtual ticket thing, I think there's a, a nice touch there of the sort of the giants coming to their little club, and uh, I, don't, I think they uh, they feel them they, they 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 did their club credit, I think, and it was a couple of nice touches going on, and it's nice that we got through, and uh, it was not the banana skin that some thought it might have been. So let's move on to Aston Villa, if we can. Again, talking about the late late show, two two late goals, two interesting goals as well, um, which I guess sort of dominated all all the all the headlines. Um, should we just kind of start start with a goal, really, and just the first one, the kind of Rodri offside and sort of stealing the ball from Mings for, for a cracking goal from Bernardo? We all know what we're talking about. Um, so, Lisa, how did you see that? What was your reaction when you first saw it? My initial reaction was that it was offside, but obviously I don't know the laws. Um, and this is where the problem lies, I guess, because... The reality is it was allowed on the basis of the law, which is how we were supposed to play the game. Um, and therein lies the problem. If, if that is either being interpreted incorrectly or differently and nobody knows what's going on, then that's a problem. But it was a goal. But to the, according to the explanation provided now, it was a legally scored goal. Well done for scoring it. A good goal as well. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Sarah, I know that being the level 37 coach that you are, you go to bed with the laws of association football and would have known the law anyway, so you knew instantly the second that Mings touched it that it wasn't offside, I guess. Of course, Nigel. In fact, I was willing Rodri to tackle him. Um, sadly, no, I didn't. Well, I... I of course, knew what most people know, which is if, he, if the ball had been passed to Rodri, it wouldn't have made the slightest bit of difference by a Villa player. Um, what I hadn't realised was that the wording talks about a deliberate action as opposed to a deliberate pass. So um, I think that's the thing that's caught most of us by surprise. Um, and so I did expect it to be ruled out for offside until I properly got my head around what the wording of the rule is. What I do think is astounding is that Premier League footballers um, don't know that that chesting the ball down is a deliberate mm. action, and therefore watch yourself, because if somebody coming back from an offside position tackles you, 
they're entitled to do so. And I, I, I do think that's really interesting. And, and I'm not, I mean, and now everyone's saying the law is enough. No, it's not. There's nothing wrong with the law as long as you understand it. Because if he had understood it, Mings would have dealt with that situation differently, or should have dealt with it differently. So, good on Rodri for doing what he did. Brilliant finish from Gundogan. It was a uh, sorry from Bernardo. It was a great game. I mean, Villa were a good team, and I thought we played well. It was a really good end-to-end game. It was nice to have a team come to the Etihad and actually try and, you know, engage in a proper game of football. Um, I think we deserved to win. Um, you know, and I mean, after the second one, I mean, if putting your hands above your head and, you know, deflecting the ball, irrespective of where the header might have been going, isn't handball, I'm not sure what is. So, you know, a good a good and important win, I would say. Nick, anything to add? We've had, we've had a, a, lots of uh, comment from both Lisa and Sarah. Any, anything to add on, on the game or, or either of those goals from your point of view? I've got lots of things to add. I'm not sure any, any of them particularly interesting, but I'll, I'll prattle on for a bit. <laughs> I, I mean, it was. It was a. I thought it was a fabulous game. Uh, I thought we deserved to win it. Um, but uh, yeah, that that first goal was really odd. Um, and it, I, I thought it was odd for a number of reasons. One that that it all of a sudden became a situation where you were sat there thinking, "Well, hang on, has, is it like that's never happened before?" Because I I don't remember there being such a controversial point around a player coming back from an offside position and um, winning possession like that. Normally, if that happens, I think we'd all expect it to be be given offside normally by the referee. Um, And I guess, you know, we all like to to think we know the laws of the game pretty well, whether we're uh, qualified in any way or not. Um, And... uh, the fact is that there's actually a very sort of technical point there, but one that's open very much to interpretation. And I think what, what happened was, A, that all of a sudden, both the, the referee on the pitch and the, the VAR referee decided to interpret it perhaps slightly differently to how it normally is, but also that they, they seem to do that in a, you know, in a moment without, without any proper thought. There are times when we are, as we know, VAR can take a few minutes to come to a decision. And that seemed to be the kind of situation where actually they probably needed to have a bit of a think about it, but they didn't. They didn't feel the need to really think about it at all. It was apparently very obvious to the officials, but uh, I'm sure lots and lots of other, other experienced officials, um, including yourself, Nigel, would say, well, that was clearly offside. But, and they, but that's more about just how the rule, the law is normally interpreted rather than being able to be very definitive about the wording on the page and the laws. Sure. And I think to answer your question, certainly my first, my first thought was that's got to be offside. I have to say it was. Um, I, I suppose maybe the reason that it hasn't happened before is most centre-backs in that situation the ball ends up in row Z rather than trying to control it and be yeah. fancy with it, which is the mistake Ming's made, I suppose. And to be fair, afterwards, he did make that point. Having complained bitterly about it not being offside, he did kind of then say, probably I should have got rid of the ball, which, of course, he should have done. Um, can I just move on to a couple of other things? Because I'm conscious of time. And uh, one thing is um, just about Stretford. I don't like to talk about them, but it's been raised that maybe are they a threat now? Are, are they... 
are the VAR gods and, and the referees with them have had a few decisions going their way. <clears throat> Nick, I know I keep coming to you last. I'm going to ask you to kick off on this one to give you a chance to go first. So, so your thoughts on, on Stratford and whether you think actually they, they are more of a threat than we believe or are they just going to sort of fizzle, fizzle out and disappear nicely for us? Well, I think, they're, they're, I think they are more of a threat this year than they have been in recent years. One, because uh, they are uh, getting a little bit better, I'm afraid to say, and they have got one or two players who are uh, in a very good run of form. Um, but two, because uh, there's lots of other teams who are much, much closer to being in with a shot at the title this year than they would normally be, and that's because of the nature of the league this year. Uh, so it's not just about what they're doing, it's about what everyone else is uh, doing. I mean, actually, just as an example, when you look at where, when you look at the league now compared to where it was this time last year after 18 or 19 games, we've actually got pretty much the same number of points as we had last year. We've got 38 points this year after 18 games. Last year we had 38 after 19, interestingly. Um, the big, big changes actually this year are that the, um, the Scousers are 18 points behind where they were this time last year, and Stretford are 12 points ahead of where they were this time last year. So they are doing better, but other teams are also doing not quite so well. I suspect, I mean, I would, I would think, um, and I am sticking to this as a, as a, as a hope as much as, a, as an expectation, but I think we're a far better team than uh, they are. And I think that over the course of the season, that will be proven by the league positions. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about them at the moment. Okay. Sarah, you, your level of concern about the Reds? I think Nick's just put it really well. I think, I mean, they are better. Um, I don't want them to be, but they are. But they're not as good a team as us. Um, they've not really done much in the games against the the other big six. You know, we had a few draws. I think we showed them the difference in class in the quarterfinal, semi-final of the Carabao Cup. Um, yeah, okay, they beat Liverpool yesterday, but with half of Liverpool's team decimated, and United went very strong. So. Um, I'd rather they weren't where they are. I quite like them languishing in eighth, uh, or even better, 18th. But, um, uh, you know, and I, would, I, I would certainly wouldn't say there's no chance they can win the league. But if we continue to play well and we don't get any really serious long-term injuries that affect us, I certainly expect us to finish above United. And hopefully that will mean finishing top of the league. All right, Lisa, final words on them, please. And don't take too long. I want to move on to something else. Um, I, I find it. I'm finding it very uncomfortable to actually have to think about them like this because it's been a while. Um, I, I think just because of the nature of the season, it, it, they are a threat. Uh, we are a better side, but this season is very unpredictable, so they they can't be ruled out. But I would put Tottenham and Leicester and obviously Liverpool in the same bracket. So uh, it, it's not. No one's running away with it. Could they win it? Yes. Hopefully they won't. Very good. Listen, before we talk about West Brom uh, early this week on Tuesday night and Sheffield United on Saturday uh, and the transfer window, uh, I just want to talk one other thing, and that is that City legend, uh, Mancunian-born and bred Frank Lampard, um, has been sacked from Chelsea. Uh, 
And I'm just wondering if any of you would be happy to have him as Pep's number two. Um, is that something that you would entertain? Nick, would you uh, like that? Or is, uh, does he need to go somewhere else? I love Frank Lampard. He's, he's a legend for our, for our, as I like pointing out to my friends who support uh, Chelsea. He, he, he's a bit of, of, of a city legend. and He was very well respected and uh, liked during his year or so at, uh, at the club. Um, and I've always liked him. He's a nice bloke, and he was a fantastic player. Um, and he, as it happens, I think he'll. I always remember him having lots of very nice things to, to say about us when he uh, appeared as a sort of commentator, expert, whatever, on the TV after he uh, after his uh, time uh, at, with us. Uh, do I want him to come in and be Pep's number two? No, I think it would. Well. You know, it would be a bit nice for us, but I don't see any real value in it for us. And I think it would be a bit embarrassing for him, to be quite honest. I'm sure he's got uh, better things to do and perhaps um, bigger and uh, better ideas about what he's going to do next. Uh, it wouldn't be completely out of the uh, out of the ordinary if he did do that. Maybe he would think it was something that longer term would be uh, beneficial to him. Uh, and if he does think that, then then. Great, but I don't think there's any great value in it for uh, for City, to be to be perfectly honest with you. Can you see him back at the Etihad, Sarah? Well, I suppose my view is that City is not a training ground or a training academy for potential coaches. If the person, if Pep wants them and knows that they will add value to his coaching team and make us a better team, then fine. I'm perfectly happy for Lampard uh, to come back, but not just so Lampard can practice being a coach, learn a bit from Pep and then clear off. So I, I, I'm, I'm ambivalent about it. I'll let Pep decide who he wants in his coaching team. Not, not Lisa then. What? Pep doesn't want me. No, no. Sarah doesn't want you to decide. So she wants Pep to decide, <laughs> not you as well. So I was coming to you next. Maybe I thought maybe she'd let you decide, Lisa, which is where I was, what I was trying to do, but didn't. Anyway, you can decide whether that works or not. Probably not. I must try harder, I know. A hundred lines, I must try harder. Lisa, what's, what's your view? Um, a, a bit of a combination of the two, I think. I can't imagine Lampard wanting to do that. I know that being with, working with Pep is, would be wonderful in lots of ways, but I think it would be a bit of a backward step to go from being the manager of Chelsea to being anyone's number two, to be honest. So I'm not sure I can see it happening, but... If Pep thought it was a good idea and Frank thought it was a good idea, then I have no issues with it. Like Lampard, never had a problem with him. But I'm not sure that it's really a thing that's going to even be an issue. Very good. Let's um, Before we talk about transfer window, let's talk about two games that come sort of quite close together against two teams <laughs> languishing. One in 20th place. Uh, on Saturday, which is Sheffield Wednesday, uh, and one in 19th place, which is West Brom, which is Tuesday night. So playing the two bottom clubs after a run that we've had, keeping clean sheets in the league like nobody's business. Uh, I don't think I want to spend too long on this because uh, I'm keen to leave some time at the end to talk about transfer window. Uh, so, so listen, uh, Sarah, your, your thoughts ahead of these two games, you've got to think that Pep will you know, get, get the changes back, get the first team back in, full of confidence, opportunity to score some goals and, and get this momentum, just keep it going and keep it going and actually have ourselves top of the Premier League, surely. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Two easy wins. 
Well, I, 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 we'll refrain from using the word easy until we've won them, but it's imperative we get two wins. I mean, if, you know, two teams, we've only scored two goals against them in the, uh, in the other fixtures we've had this season. We know they'll defend for their lives. Um, I'll be very happy to come out of both of them with three points, um, preferably some clean sheets, no injuries. And for me at the moment, it's, you know, the last few weeks have all been about just rhythm and fitness and just building momentum and that's all I want from these two games I want the six points and I just want to maintain rhythm momentum clean sheets and a few goals would be nice for our goal difference but that's that's all I want from them not much as I said as I said at the start of the show, you know, everything is wonderful. All is well. We're going to wax lyrical. We're only going to talk positive. So, so Lisa, with that in, in mind, surely I was right. It's going to be two easy wins with loads of goals, isn't it? Here, here's our opportunity. Fill our boots, as I said earlier on to Nick. That would be absolutely wonderful. Nothing's easy. None of these games are easy. I'm delighted both these teams have actually won games before playing us. Um, because we know how charitable we often like to be in other circumstances. Um, you know, although Sheffield United are having an absolutely horrendous season, they're not conceding that many goals. They're not losing four or five nil every game. So that won't, it won't be easy. But should we win both these games? Yes, we should. I know we haven't mentioned it, but we'll be doing both of those games and a few more without Kevin. Um, I think that we should still be fine without him. And I'm glad to see Bernardo regaining form just in time for that. Um, And obviously we've spoken about Foden. I I think it's a good opportunity for the rest of the team to show that we can do it without without having De Bruyne in the side. Um, Easy, no. Should we win them? Yes. Do I hope we win them? Of course. And hopefully by this time next week, we are top of the league. Nick, we, we, we don't want to be Liverpool-like, do we, and start making excuses for our injuries? I hope that's not what Lisa's doing. I don't think it is. Of course um, I not. Don't think she, she's not like that. So, so uh, easy, easy. No, but she, make, she makes a very, very good point. But I think that, uh, you know, clearly these aren't going to be uh, rollover easy wins um, uh, in all probability. Uh, we have struggled to score goals every so often, even in the last uh, six, eight weeks or so. And we are playing these games, and this is where I, I have reserved maybe a little bit more uh, comment around uh, Gabriel Jesus and our striker uh, situation uh, more widely. But we are playing game after game without anybody in a recognised striker role who makes any significant impact whatsoever. Gabriel Jesus has not made a really significant, any sort of significant impact in a game other than against bricklayers and builders from Cheltenham Town since early November. Uh, he hasn't scored a goal and he's done virtually nothing else. Uh, and we are reliant on a, uh, a wider, there's nothing wrong with being reliant on a wider pool of attacking players scoring goals. But for God's sake, somebody at the club work out what it is that we need to do to find ourselves a reliable scorer of goals and poacher of goals who is going at some point or other, whether it be this week, next week, or any other time, to be needed to find us a goal from somewhere when we need one. 
But this segues nicely into the last thing I know Nigel wants to talk about, which is transfer window. And I suppose my view, Nick, is that nobody's denying we don't need at least one, probably two, really good, one world-class and one really good striker, because Aguero's best days, sadly, I think, are coming to an end, um, and we're, one, we're at least one short. All I think I would say is that I think Jesus is good enough to play for City, but when he's the only striker we've got fit and we rely on them, on him, he doesn't set the world alight enough to to convince most City fans that he is Aguero number two, which he's not. I just think that he's he's he should be one of our three strikers. We're too short if we take Aguero out of the equation from sort of next season onwards. And you think we should go in the transfer in the January transfer window, Sarah? Is that your view? We should get one now and another one in the summer? Is that kind of what you're saying? Or two now? What's your view of the January transfer window? I would get one striker now, but not somebody who is just a bit of padding. I mean, look, we all want Haaland, and if that was to be something we could pull off in the summer, we'd, we'd, we'd be ecstatic. But if, for example, somebody like, and you know, we can all debate about who, who we might go for, but if somebody like Danny Ings could be prized away, I would take Danny Ings at City. Okay. And I'd take him this month. If we can't get him this month, then we'd just look at what options are available in the summer. I think I read that he wants to go to the Champions, um, Champions League side. Mm. So, so, Lisa, I think that's you, you coming in. Your, your thoughts about the transfer window? Sarah's come up with the view that it's, it's, we've got to get a striker now, at least one, and then look in the summer for maybe our, our prize possession that we're trying to, trying to get, of course, in, in the shape of Haaland. Would you yeah. agree with her that it's imperative we get a striker in January? Um, I think it would be nice. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily imperative. We, I, I agree with Nick, obviously. I mean, it's clear for everyone to see we have struggled sometimes to score this season, whether Jesus is on the pitch or not. I think it's possibly a bit unfair to say he hasn't done much since November. He's also been isolating. And anyway, let's not go there again. Um, the... I didn't really think about it. I mean, I wouldn't be against that because it shouldn't be a, a massive outlay. Um, obviously, we all want Haaland in the summer. And if we had to wait till then, I think I could live with that. I think the rest of the team just have to step up a bit. I, I mean, you know, we could talk about the fact that Sterling can't seem to put the ball on the back of the net either. Yeah, you know, there's the, the, a few of them who are misfiring. So, All right. So, so yeah. Nick, finally, just, just focusing on, on the transfer window, uh, where, where do you sit on that? Is it, is it just a striker or do you see other opportunities? For, but again, I'm just talking about the January window here. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any pressing imperative anywhere else in particular. Uh, for If you take the view, as most of us do, that you know it's better to do it in uh, the summer, then I don't think there's anything, there's anything else that really needs to be addressed in, in any with any great urgency. And I do actually think that, you know, let's not forget that, you know, hopefully um, Sergio Aguero is going to be back at some point fairly soon. Um, and I would humbly suggest that whilst his uh, longer term, um, he's, you know, he's probably got less time than we would like left, but he could certainly, I think more than anybody, if he gets himself uh, back, 
into a position where he's able to play on a very regular basis, he's more likely to do a job for us for the rest of this year than anybody we could possibly look to bring in um, in the window uh, from outside. Brilliant. Don't write Sergio off just yet, I think is the message. And, and obviously, and I think, sorry, just to be just one sure. more thing, I, sure. I, I don't think there is any any fan of our club anywhere in the world who would not prefer to see him back on the pitch than anybody else coming in. Fantastic. Thank you very much to my three guests, to Nick Goldstone, to Lisa Rabinovitz, and to Sarah Messenger. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.